0: Well, hello everyone and happy Easter. We are so glad that you have chosen to tune in and join us for Easter Sunday here at the Vista. Uh, I never thought that I would be a televangelist, but the last month or so has been a little different around here. And Austin and I have kind of turned into uh, your little televangelist, but uh, we're really glad that you've chosen to tune in uh, on, your, uh, on your TV or on your computer screen as we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. If you have your Bibles uh, with you, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. 1 Corinthians 15. uh, We have actually been walking through this New Testament letter of Corinthians since February. And and so we're going to talk about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus today out of 1 Corinthians 15. Next Sunday, I'm actually going to be wrapping up uh, the book of Corinthians. And then the following week, um, Austin's going to start a new series walking us again through the Old Testament book of Job. Uh, a lot of things in Job that are very uh, timely for what we're going through today. So we hope that you'll join us uh, in, the, in the following weeks. But 1 Corinthians 15, and um, before we get into that text, I'll kind of catch you up on what's been going on in, in Corinth and in Corinthians. So um, when we launched in, we saw that uh, the Apostle Paul, he plants this church in this booming uh, port city of Corinth. And as he plants the church, he establishes the church and he gets it running. And then Paul moved on to other cities to plant other churches. That was kind of the way Paul worked. Well, it wasn't long after Paul left Corinth that the church there begins to have a lot of problems. Uh, there's a lot of fighting. They're complaining about leadership and um, kind of questioning who they should be following. There's issues of who should be included in the church. There's issues of spiritual gifting and how to use spiritual gifting. And so there's just a lot of disputes going on. There's not much unity in the church. And so over the last several weeks and months, we've been addressing each of these things um, that Paul addresses in this letter. Well, today, uh, Paul talks about what is most important he says of all the things that christians believe listen let's be honest there's a lot of things we can disagree about there's a lot of different denominations under the banner of christianity and and all of them uh, disagree about some some things even within the same church there's a lot of room for disagreement christians can disagree about a lot of stuff but what paul talks about here in chapter 15 is what is most important And these things that he considers most important, they are things that we all have absolute agreement on, that all Christians across the spectrum agree on and believe. And so he calls it um, what is most important, and that's what I want to talk about today on Easter Sunday. So we'll jump in here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, and I'll begin in verse 1. Paul says this, Now, I would remind you, brothers, writing back to the church again, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So, Paul starts out here by talking about the gospel, so the good news, right? Uh, there's a lot of bad news out there. You don't have to look far to find bad news. You can watch the news any night, any day of the week, and you can find bad news, right? The news gets their ratings off of bad news, but Paul's talking here about the gospel. He says, hey, there's some good news, right? The good news is about Jesus. And that's what he talks about here. The good news about Jesus. He says that you receive it and you hold fast to it. And so we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. Then he gets in and Paul really, he lays it out here. He's got, he's got five points that I just wanna share with you uh, today. Number one, verse three, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, again, most importantly, what I also received. Number one, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Point number one is that Christ died. Christ really, really died died. Christ didn't kind of die. He didn't partly die. He wasn't quasi dead, right? He wasn't just sort of unconscious and in some unconscious state on the cross so that everybody thought he was dead. Paul's first point and, and something that all Christians agree on is that Christ really, really died. You know, there are a lot of books and articles. There have been movies. There um have even there's even other whole religions that would say Christ didn't really die. And if Christ didn't really die, then he of course wasn't truly raised from the dead. And so the very first point is that Christ really, really died, and I'll, I'll just talk about this briefly. We actually remembered this in our Good Friday service, that Christ indeed died on a cross. But essentially, uh, Jesus was uh, betrayed by one of his very close friends, and he was led through a series of false trials. There really wasn't anything to convict him of as he had really committed no crime. There was no sin. Uh, But the mob and the religious leaders were adamant that he be put to death. And so the officials, they they finally just gave in and said, okay. Jesus was then uh, beaten severely, a process the Romans called flogging. Where they would beat him mercilessly. Um, Many criminals that were flogged would actually not even make it through the flogging. They would die from the beating itself. Um, And it was just, it was a horrible, excruciating beating that Jesus took. Then we're told that he carried his own cross through the streets um, until he could no longer carry it. His body just kind of gave out. And someone else then carried his cross the rest of the way. He was led um, outside of the city to this hill where professional executioners, the Romans had perfected uh, crucifixion as a means of execution. They knew what they were doing. And they nailed him to a cross. They they drove spikes into his feet and into his hands. And then they lifted him up on this cross. Again, uh, the Romans were professionals at this. They crucified thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Uh, People did not make it off of the cross alive. They didn't make it off of the cross alive. In fact, um, a professional executioner would walk by each person that was on the cross to ensure that they were dead before being taken down. When they come to Jesus, the professional executioner already uh, declared that he was indeed dead. So they had someone, uh, a soldier, run a spear through his side. The Bible tells us the spear punctures his heart, punctures his heart sack, and that blood and water pour out, ensuring that Jesus really died on the cross. Paul's first point, a point that all Christians believe, is that Jesus died. And he didn't die for no reason. That's his other thing about death. He says that he died for our sins. He died for our sins. You see, there was a bigger purpose behind the death of Jesus. It wasn't just another innocent man that died at the hands of the Romans. What makes it good news is that Jesus died for our sins. That was the purpose. You see, you and I are sinners. We deserve sin. Uh, We deserve death. And, And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus becomes our substitute jesus takes our place the payment or the wage for our sin is death but jesus takes our place instead that's what makes the story such good news and paul declares here to the corinthian church in the midst of all of their issues and all of their problems it it really was quite a dysfunctional family he says here's what's most important number one christ really died christ died well number two he says in verse four then that he was buried that he was buried. So they take the body of Jesus, and then uh, the process of burial back then was, was actually, it involved quite a bit. They would wrap the body in up to 100 pounds of linens and spices, um, a process that you and I would probably think of a lot like mummification. It was quite an ordeal to prepare a body for burial. So they prepared the body for burial, many of his followers, and then were told that he was uh, given a tomb Uh, Jesus himself was not a rich man. Uh, In fact, he was a homeless man. Uh, He didn't have his own tomb. And so one of his rather secret followers, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, he gifted his tomb to Jesus. And so Jesus was laid in the tomb of a a wealthy, rather prominent man named Joseph of Arimathea. This is all uh, to fulfill a prophecy. In Isaiah 53, it said that Jesus would be buried among the rich. And so when Joseph of Arimathea gives Jesus his tomb, He fulfills that prophecy. And Jesus was buried in this tomb. Now, uh, it would have been a tomb that others would have known about. It wasn't some obscure place. Again, a rich man's tomb would have been a very prominent tomb. And so, to ensure that no one messes with the body, they roll a giant stone in front of the opening of the tomb so that nobody could steal the body. Uh, Then, they would seal it and put the seal of the Roman Empire on the tomb. Again, so, so that no one could, uh, could open it. And then as another measure, they would position a guard outside of the tomb. Again, so that if anyone came around and tried to take the body or mess with the body, uh, that Roman guard was there to stand post over the tomb. And so Jesus died and then Jesus was buried. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. Then his third point. What we celebrate today on Easter Sunday, Jesus did not stay dead. Paul's next point is that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is what we celebrate, right? That Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, that three days later he gets up and he walks out of that tomb and he conquers Satan, sin, and death once and for all. That is the good news, right? And I'll tell you that it is this truth that our entire faith really hinges on that Jesus is not dead, that Jesus is very much alive. This is something that sets Christianity apart from all other belief systems and all other world religions, that we believe our savior is no longer in the grave. There's not a grave you can go to and mourn the loss of Jesus. There's not a grave to go to and lay flowers at his grave because Jesus is not in a grave. Jesus is very much alive. In fact, if Jesus was not alive, if it could be proven that Jesus was still in a tomb, that his body could be produced, then our whole faith would simply fall apart. Literally everything we believe hinges on the fact that Jesus got up and he walked out of the grave. Uh, A few verses later, uh, Paul actually mentions, we don't have time to get into all of this, but over in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. So Paul's gonna tell the church in Corinth, like, look, if Jesus isn't alive, then everything we're doing and everything you believe is pointless. Like, it's just pointless. There's no point to any of it. But Paul's, what, what he's saying here is that Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ is alive. He rose, he rose on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, His fourth point then is uh, to sort of bolster the claim that Christ really is alive. And so what he says in verse five is, and that he appeared, that he appeared. Fourth point is that Christ appeared. And then he goes on and Paul lists the different people and the different groups that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. You see, what some would try to do is say, well, Jesus just sort of, uh, This is just some of his close followers and close friends that kind of all got together and they concocted this whole scheme um, that they saw him alive and that it was all this giant hoax or this giant lie. But what Paul's going to tell the church is, wait, Jesus appeared to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, many of which were still alive at the time of the writing of this letter. And so, uh, first of all, he says that he appeared to Cephas. So Cephas was Peter. Uh, peter was of course the leader of the disciples right Um, and a lot of times we think of peter we think of maybe this courageous bold uh leader but you might remember that at jesus's trial peter was not courageous and bold Uh, peter was actually a coward peter was fearful for his own life Um, we know that when jesus was on trial Uh, there is a young girl that sees Peter and accuses him of being with Jesus. And Peter quickly steps back and he's like, I I don't even know, I've I've never seen that guy in my life, right? He quickly denies Jesus. And we're told that he denies him three times, three times. When Jesus is being crucified, Peter is nowhere to be found. He's nowhere around. The leader of the disciples, nowhere to be found. And so Peter's very much a scared, sort of cowardly figure. But when Jesus appears to Peter, when Peter sees the resurrected Jesus, he is emboldened. Peter is changed. Peter becomes courageous. Peter goes on to spend the rest of his life preaching about the truth of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. He goes on to be a leader in the early church and in the movement of Christianity. Peter goes on to write two books of our New Testament that bear his name. And ultimately, Peter suffers and dies. He's crucified upside down for the truth of the resurrection of Christ. He would not recant. He would not recant. What changed Peter was seeing the resurrected Lord Jesus. Paul mentions that he appeared to Peter then it says he appeared to the 12 so Jesus appeared to his friends to all of his friends the other apostles the other disciples one of uh, whom was named Thomas Thomas was a bit of a skeptic you know Thomas Thomas uh, famously said look I'm not going to believe unless I can see for myself unless I can place my hands in his scars so Peter sh- uh, so Jesus shows up to Thomas he lets him see his scars he lets him place his hand in his scars And then Thomas, the skeptic, he believes as well. Jesus appeared to his friends, but he didn't just appear to his friends. He also appeared to strangers. He appeared to strangers. Verse 6 says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are alive, though some have fallen asleep. And so here's what he says. He didn't just appear to his closest friends who could concoct some sort of story. Jesus also appeared to strangers, hundreds of them at one time. Large crowds of people Jesus showed back up to after they saw him die, then they saw him alive again. This, again, this isn't some secret thing that happened. This would have been the talk of the town. This would have been the talk uh, around the, the coffee shops. This would have been the talk around the dinner table. Jesus, who was crucified is now alive and appearing to hundreds of people. It would have been a very, very big deal. He didn't just appear to his friends. He appeared to a lot of people. And Paul makes sure to tell the church, guys, if you don't believe me, you can go talk to most of these people because they're still alive. At the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians, many that saw the resurrected Jesus were still around. They were still alive. So he appeared to his friends. He appeared to strangers. Um, Then it says, he also appeared to his family. Verse seven says, then he appeared to James and all the other apostles. So James was Jesus's brother. Jesus had a few brothers, James and Jude, neither one of which believed and worshiped him as God while he was alive. Prior to uh, his resurrection, uh, neither one of them worshiped him as God, which let's be honest, um, it would take a lot for you to worship your brother as some sort of deity, right? And Jesus was no different. They thought he was kind of crazy during part of his life, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So, um, so he shows up to James, though, and then everything changes. Everything changes. Uh, James and Jude, his brothers, they go on to believe in him and worship him as God. They also go on to pen uh, books in our New Testament, They go on to pastor and shepherd the early church and they believe in Christ and it's all because he appeared to them and even his own family began to worship him as God. And listen, that's just something that good Jewish boys don't do. You don't just all of a sudden change the object of your worship. You have to make very sure that the person, the object of your worship was the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But James and Jude... They go on to be worshipers of Jesus after the resurrection because he appeared to them as well. Verse eight then says, and then last of all, I love the fact that Paul uh, includes himself here. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul says, for I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul's last line of evidence here is that Jesus not only appeared to his friends and to strangers and to his family, he even appeared to enemies. He even appeared to his enemies. You see, the apostle Paul before he was Paul, the church planter, the missionary, the preacher, he was Saul of Tarsus, and he hated Jesus. He was an enemy of Jesus. He was a persecutor of the church, this new movement that was getting started. He was doing everything in his power to persecute, to imprison, and to even kill Christians. We see him in Acts chapter seven at the death of this uh, this man named Stephen. Stephen was a deacon in the early church and he was a worshiper of Jesus. And Saul of Tarsus is there and he's the one leading out in the death of Stephen. You see, but in Acts chapter nine, a few chapters later, Saul of Tarsus has this encounter with the risen Lord. Jesus appears to Saul and he changes his life At Saul's conversion, um, we go on to see a man that is completely different. He changes his name to Paul, and then rather than being an opponent of Christianity, he is uh, one that is most responsible for the spread of Christianity. He was an opponent of the church, but then he goes on to be a planter of churches. He was an opponent of, or a disbeliever of the resurrection, and he spends the rest of his life preaching about the truth of the resurrection. So Paul's claim here to the believers in Corinth is, guys, here's what's most important. You can disagree about a lot of stuff, but what's most important, Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose, and then he appeared, and he appeared to friends, strangers, family, and even enemies. And then my last point is this. My last point, and what I want to leave you with, is that Jesus now rules and he reigns. Jesus rules and reigns. You you see, Jesus, um, as we see him in the Gospels, Jesus is is kind of this lowly, humble peasant from Galilee. He was, again, homeless. He didn't have a lot of money. He never traveled very far from his home. He calls this group of rather sort of ragtag disciples that were uh, not selected by the other rabbis of the day. He was, um, again, walked in a great deal of meekness. But you see, we don't serve and worship lowly, peasant Jesus. We serve and worship a risen and exalted Jesus. Jesus is no longer in his incarnate state, lowly, suffering servant. No, no. Jesus now has finished the work that God the Father gave him to do. He went to a cross and he gave up his life on the cross. And then he ultimately went into the grave and he walked out of the grave, conquering Satan, sin and death. And now he is risen and exalted Hebrews chapter 12 says that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then it says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 4, we're given a glimpse into heaven. And it says that Jesus is there and gathered around all the angels, all the people, all the heavenly beings And their attention and their focus is on risen and exalted Jesus. And they're singing and shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So I would remind you, church, that we don't serve lowly, peasant, incarnate Jesus. We serve risen and exalted King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus. And he's not oblivious to what's going on in our world. And he's not oblivious to what's going on in your life. He is worthy of our worship and our praise. He is worthy of our love and our devotion. He is worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our lives. As I wrap it up, I want to remind you of the very first thing Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. In talking to these believers in Corinth, he says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. He he says he wants you to receive this. You see, we don't just want you to hear some things about Jesus. We don't just want you to know some things about Jesus. We want you to receive the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus in your own life. That's what Paul wanted for the church in Corinth. Paul wanted them to receive the gospel, not just to know some things about it, but to receive it. And that's our invitation to you today on Easter Sunday. It's for you to receive the gospel into your own heart and into your own life. And then, if you've already received that, the invitation is that you take your stand on that, on that truth, that you build your life around that truth. Our question is simple Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus and will you live for Jesus? That's what it means. That is what is most important. All the other stuff can fade away. All the other stuff we can talk about later. You know, it's not unimportant. Some of it's very important stuff, but it's not most important. It's not most important. What's most important is that you know and trust and receive Jesus. And that's our invitation to you today on Easter Sunday. I'm gonna pray for us. And then Jordan's going to come back out and they're going to lead us in another song of worship. And we want to invite you to respond. I would encourage you, don't, don't uh, you know, click off uh, really quick uh, just because the message is over. The response time's really important. And then in, even after that, don't click off. John, our executive pastor, is going to come back out and he has some really important information for us about um, some things we're doing in the community and ways you can kind of help with that. Um, so don't, don't be quick to kind of click off But all the ways that you could respond in your home are the same ways that you could respond if you were here and we were gathered together for worship. Uh, You could respond maybe just by spending some time where you are seated in prayer, confession, repentance. Just spend some time with the Lord right there where you are. As Jordan and them sing, you can do that. Maybe you want to sing along. Maybe you even want to stand in your living room or, or your room or wherever you are. You want to stand and sing. Again, sing and, 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 and celebrate and worship the resurrected, risen Lord Jesus. Maybe you want to take communion. Uh, communion is this beautiful sacrament of the church. And it is something that, um, that we receive. Um, and, and it's this tangible reminder of what Christ has done for us. And so um, it's where you, we usually here at the church, we take some bread and we dip that in some juice. At, at your home, you could really use whatever you want. You can find some bread, some juice, some wine, uh, whatever you want to use. But just be thankful for and remember the sacrifice of Jesus as you take those elements, as you receive those elements. You're welcome to do that during this next song. Maybe you want to talk or pray with someone we have some of our prayer team members that are standing by and they are ready, willing, and able to talk with you, to pray with you. Um, You're welcome to uh, call the number here that is on your uh, your screen. I know it's a 512 area code, but rest assured, that's just the number that we got. Uh, It will take you to one of our church's prayer team members. Maybe you're not sure if you belong to Jesus. Maybe you're not sure if you've received Jesus into your life. They would be happy to talk with you and pray with you about about what that looks like and what that means and how you can do that. So I would encourage you, you can, uh, you can call or you can even text that number. And we have people in our church that'd be happy to be praying along with you right now. Maybe you'd like to give an offering. There's a lot of ways that you can give. You can, you can give online, you can give via text. I do wanna just say, I know we may have many that are uh, tuning in that are not members here. Maybe you're just a guest. Uh, we're not after your money. We're not after your money. God's been very good to us. Um, And so if you're a guest, we're not asking you to give a dime. But I know for our regular members and our regular attenders, that's that's one of the ways we encourage them to worship is through giving. And so we want to make sure that that's a way you can respond if you so choose to do that. But however you want to respond, you can respond right there in your home the same way that you would respond here in our auditorium. And we would encourage you to do that. So I'm going to pray, and then Jordan and the band are going to come back out, and they're going to lead us. And then again, hang on after it because John's got some important information as we wrap up. Happy Easter, everyone. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Uh, We are grateful for all that you have done and all that you are doing. And Father, today, uh, in the midst of um, a lot of craziness and a lot of uncertainty going on in our world, God, in the midst of a lot of things in our culture that could divide us, Father, we're grateful today for the thing that is most important. We are grateful today, Jesus, that you died, that you were buried, that you rose, you walked out of the grave, that you appeared to many. And we're grateful today that you rule and reign as risen and exalted King Jesus. And I pray that we would place our hope and our trust and our faith in you and that we would build our lives around you and you alone. And we pray this today in your beautiful name. Amen. Happy Easter, guys.